And our reading this morning reminds us that we follow the Christ who will empower us for service. And we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and begin to read at verse 12 and on into chapter 3. That tells us why we li- how we live in triumph in the Lord Jesus Christ, that uh, our strength this year as we march into the unknown, into the future, comes not from ourselves, but from the Son of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and beginning to read at verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes, When I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death, leading to life, uh, leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life, leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Well, New Year is, of course, the time when we reflect on the past, but it's also a time when we think about the future and who we are as people and where we're going, what kind of direction we are moving in or should move in. And I wonder this morning how you are viewing this future year of 2023. Are you thinking through the future direction of your own life? Are the changes that you need to make? Are you, should you lead your family in a different way? What about the church? How should the church progress as we move into this new year? Well, perhaps you enter it with a sense of dread and uncertainty. Past experiences, maybe over this last year, over the last few years, have, have um, colored the contours of your future in, in sadness, in concern, in worry, in this gloomy shade of gray, and you enter this new year with the cup, the cup is half empty. Or maybe your experience is quite different, and you're entering it with this more positive spin. You see the sustaining grace and strength of God over the last year, and you say, I, this is hope for the future. As I turn the page, as we start afresh, as we turn over this new leaf, or whatever other idiom you're conjuring up this morning, you enter this new year with your cup half full. Or perhaps you're staying grounded in the realities of life and say, well, the reality is that there is going to be a mixture of strength and weakness, of hope and sadness in this year ahead, and I want to ground myself in that reality. Well, this morning, in all of that varied thinking, just want to spend a few moments to pause and consider this remarkable attitude that scripture that the apostle Paul wants us to have as we march into the unknown future. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14, the apostle Paul urges us to walk into this new year, he says, by joining in with the triumphal procession of Christ. He says, this is the lens through which we are to see ourselves as we march forward into the future as the church, as the people of God. But what does that mean? And how does it form our outlook for the year ahead? How do I do this? March in the triumphal procession of Christ? What will that look like for my new year? Well, firstly, consider this. The Apostle Paul says, that we march not in our own procession, but we march forward in Christ's triumphal procession. When we think of triumphal processions, many different things can come to our mind. We might think of the Argentinian football team winning the World Cup, going back to Buenos Aires, open-top bus, World Cup held aloft, crowds, hundreds of thousands probably, cheering, what a triumphal procession. Or we may think of VE Day as uh, the Allies got victory in Europe and they 
come back and they celebrate in 1945 and the crowds are gathered and there's this lavish parade celebrating war victory, at least in Europe. But in Paul's mind, the lavish parades that he thought he was thinking of were Rome's. The Roman parades that went through the city in celebration of the general's victory in far-off lands. This triumphant general and his mighty armies would arrive back in Rome, and with the approval of the Caesar, they would hold a march, celebrations. And if you've been to Rome, you'll know that uh, these military victories would be celebrated with huge stone arches, coins, reliefs, statues, medallions, paintings, and then this triumphal procession would go through the, the city center, across the, the river, and into the main center. It was a general's highest honor, the great moment of his life. If he'd won a victory in Britain or wherever it was, now he could celebrate with his own people and say, look at what I've done. Look at who I am. Give me the glory that is due to my name. And all the crowds, the thousands would gather to praise and honor the general. He'd left his homeland, taken great risks, gone to far-off unknown territories, conquered nations, brought back captives, and now he was showing the prowess of the Roman Empire. At great risk to his own life, he had again won the victory for the glory of Caesar. With this in mind, Paul declares that Christ is having a millennia-long victory march from the day of his resurrection until the day of his return. He is striding through the streets of the world and saying, I am the one. I'm the one who left my homeland, a great risk to my own life. I gave up everything to win and to conquer and to beat off the enemy and to gain the victory for the glory of my father. And it's this idea that pervades Paul's understanding of what Christ accomplished while on earth. This was the Lord who'd left everything to go and take captives from enemy territory, to win them for himself, to bring them back as living servants of the Heavenly Father, to defeat demons and death and sin and Satan. He'd left everything. Over in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul writes again of the spiritual forces, the satanic powers, he says, in the heavenly places, but that Christ in his resurrection disarmed them, disarmed those rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame, he says, by triumphing. Same word as 2 Corinthians 2, by triumphing over them in the cross. Here the same word is used by Paul, to say Christ triumphed, not just over Satan and sin and the, the heavenly enemies, the, the enemies in the heavenlies. But Paul is now saying in 2 Corinthians 2, he said, he's triumphed over me. I was on the road to Damascus fighting against the living God, but he came and he defeated me. He opened my eyes to see the beauty of God. And I have 
I have never been the same since because of the victory of Jesus in my life. And not only him, but all of us are enemies of God. We all require the defeat of Christ in our lives. And many of us can look back this morning and say, I remember like Paul, my Damascus road situation where Christ defeated me. He destroyed me, my, my past life, everything I'd built up and given my life for. He destroyed it all and he's taken me captive. I'm his. I belong to him now. As Paul uses this word triumph, he's, he's making it clear it's not his triumph march. I wasn't the one who gained the victory over my sin and rebellion against God. No, Christ did it. Christ defeated Satan. He defeated the demons. He defeated me. He defeated all enemies at the cross. This is King Jesus on a mercy march, capturing former slaves of this world for himself, restoring life and salvation to the perishing, defeating the proud, humbling the evil one, bringing us into his mighty army. This is, he says, the striding of Christ through his own world, reclaiming it as his own, showing his kingly authority, drawing the glory to where it truly belongs, not to peoples, not to religions, not to nations, but to his Father in heaven. And so as we enter this new year and walk with Christ, we ought to be careful to remember that whatever we do and however we live and however successful we are in any situation, that this is not our victory march. This is Christ's victory march. This, is, this year is not about Emmanuel Church's glory. It's not about your glory or mine. We exist this year to make much of Jesus Christ, of his cross, to show what astounding things he accomplished in those three days of death, burial, and resurrection. In a culture that is a glory vacuum, sucking in praise for itself. As a church, we are to stand out quite differently. You know, the leaf blowers that people can get, you can suck in the leaves or it can blow out the leaves. And that's our choice this year. Is it to suck in glory, or is it to scatter glory, to, to show off the glory of Christ and say, this is not about me. It's not about the building up of Emmanuel. It's about the glory of Christ. About people looking at our family and say, what a great family. It's about say, people saying, what a good savior they have. And so with this in mind, we're ready to think about Paul's second consideration here. And it's this, that Christ's triumphal procession has become ours. In one sense, it is our triumphal procession. We acknowledge this year, it's not about us. It's not about how great we can be seen to be. But in the same breath, we can say, this is my triumphal procession. Elsewhere, Paul, writing to the Roman Christians who were so aware of uh, the generals and Caesar's triumphal marches, he refers them in the book of Romans to Christ's victory. And then he says, 
we are more than, or we are super conquerors. But then he adds the most important phrase of all, through Christ who loved us. He says, we are more than conquerors. This is our triumphal procession in Christ it is, through Christ it is. You see, being in Christ, being joined with him, being connected to Jesus is one of the most important truths of Scripture. Understanding that all we have and that all we enjoy in our salvation is because we are joined to Jesus transforms our whole outlook on our life and our Christian faith. When we understand our union with the Lord Jesus, we can safely acknowledge that even now as Christians, though we continue to struggle with the old enemy, though there are very, some very frustrating sins in our lives, yet at the same time, we are walking in the victory of the Lord Jesus. Here we still can see and often deeply feel our great weaknesses, our inabilities, our stupidities. And yet, because of Christ, we can still march with peaceful, triumphant confidence in him and in what he is doing in our lives and how safely he will keep us to the end because he has already gained the victory, the final victory over our sin. Paul says elsewhere, we live by faith in the Son of God, not in our own perfections, not in our own abilities, but by faith, because we are joined to him and our hope is found in him. If we forget this year that we are in Christ, then we've forgotten the gospel. We'll begin to look inwards and say, oh, I need to be stronger. I I need to be better. I need to, I'm so rubbish. I'm God must be so distant. He must be so frustrated with me. And if we've forgotten the gospel this coming year, our heads will hang down. We'll be despondent and have no power to overcome sin. We'll have a feeling of dreadful hopelessness. Defeated me last year, therefore it will defeat me again. Because we've forgotten Christ's victory over that sin. And that we are now in triumphal procession joined with him. And so if we forget Christ, if we forget our union with him, we will be looking this year for a new resolution. We'll be looking for a new motivation. Knowing that just like last year, we will probably fail to keep that. But if we look at Christ, we can enter this year not looking back and saying, well, I was beaten then. So I will be beaten again. Sin defeated me then, so sin will defeat me in the year to come. Instead, we will look at Christ and say, no, I'm joined to him and his triumph over sin. He rules in my life. He is Lord. He is the general of the army who is leading me in triumphal procession. So no matter what sin beat me in the last year, It doesn't have to beat me this year because I am Christ. I'm joined to him. So while we're not to say this is our victory and that therefore we deserve praise, we are to say I might be a worthless loser, 
I might feel like that, but I am not on the losing side. And that in Christ, everything changes and can change and will change. And he will keep his people to the end. And we will be repentant and we will be overcoming sin. And it will be more and more released, the power of it from our lives, because we're in Christ's triumphal procession. It's worth stopping here and saying, because of that, brothers and sisters, God neither detests you nor is frustrated with you. He doesn't want you to see yourself as a hopeless, pathetic Christian because of your ongoing struggles and failures. It's not the way Paul views it. He says elsewhere, he says, I do what I don't want to do. I keep doing what I shouldn't do, and I keep not doing what I should do, but there's no condemnation in Christ, and I am a super conqueror in him. I am not a pathetic loser, a failure because I've been defeated this year. The Lord desires that you look daily, hourly, moment by moment to his son to keep your eyes fixed on the resurrection of Christ to see the brutal way he has dealt with our sin at the cross and to live by faith in him, to keep looking at his triumphal procession that you and I are now a part of. To look at him in whom is all your hope and your salvation, the one who is leading you out, leading us out in triumphal procession, declaring sin has been defeated. It does not rule over me anymore. Christ rules over me. I do not have to listen to that old voice. I always, when growing up, used to struggle with that line, um, he breaks the power of cancelled sin. I thought it was the weirdest line. I never understood it. My dad explained it once. It's like, we have sin. It's been conquered by Christ. It's been defeated. But God still needs to break the power of that defeated sin in our lives. He breaks the power of sin that's already been cancelled. And that's the reality as we go into the new year. We're in the triumphal procession. Sin has been defeated and therefore now we can be confident that God will continue to break its power, its hold over us, because it's on the losing side. Our hope this year is not that somehow I, by myself, by new motivation, will live a successful life. But my attitude is to be, I look to Christ, I rest in him. I seek his grace, his strength, his presence. Lord, will you break the power of cancelled sin through him who loved us? And then we can say with King David, Psalm 27 verse 6, he says, now my head shall be lifted up above all my enemies, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, and I will make melody to the Lord. We say, that defeated me. But in looking to Christ, in reminding myself I'm in his triumphal march, I lift up my heads, and I will praise the Lord. It's Christ's triumphal march, not ours but it is our triumphal march in him. And with those two things in mind, we also need to be realistic about this and say that this 
Thirdly, this triumphal procession is not, will not be an easy or glamorous one like we might like to think. You see, what is in Paul's mind here as he thinks of Rome's victory parades is that he is not leading this parade. He's in it, but he's not leading it. He's a slave in the parade. Because, you know, as the generals, they come back and they cross the Tiber River and they enter Rome, they bring with them the defeated kings and the defeated army generals. And they're in chains and they're being dragged through the streets and humiliated and taken to the center of Rome and sometimes killed, sometimes sold into slavery in the center of the town. These great kings now become mere slaves to others. And at the front and sides of the procession, there would be these people who would be casting out incense, this smell of victory. And the smell of victory would cause the crowds to cheer and the defeated kings and generals to say, this is my death. This is the aroma of death to me. And it's this, this sense, this flavor that captures the shocking sense of what the Apostle Paul has in mind as he considers his own part in the triumphal procession. Christ is this victorious general leading the triumphant march through the world, the captives enslaved to the king, sacrificial aromas being cast out, meaning life to those who belong to Christ, death to those who are enemies of Christ. This is a march that is to exalt the general. And the captors are there to glorify the general. They were enslaved to say, however great I was, I am nothing compared with him. He is the victor. He is the great one here. We are part of the victory march, says Paul, but we are also slaves within the march. It's a kind of an almost contradiction, uh, it's a parallel truth within this, this 2 Corinthians 2 way saying, you are victors, but you're also slaves. You have overcome, and yet you're also defeated. And that's what the gospel really is. This is the great hope of the gospel. To be defeated by Christ means to be the victorious one, to enter into his victory. Without being defeated by Jesus, you cannot enter in. It's a wonderful defeat. Because without it, we would still be enemies of the king. We would still be seeking praise for our own successes. We'd still be hoping for the defeat of God. We'd still be fighting against him as his enemies. But having been defeated by Christ, it has brought us in to this victory march. King David in Psalm 68 prophesies the resurrection of Christ in these words. He says, when you ascended on high, you took many captives. You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. He's saying, when Christ wins the victory at the resurrection, he'll take people captive. They'll be his slaves. They'll be his children. They'll be his own. 
So all these metaphors wrapped up into one glorious truth. To be a slave of Christ. To die to self. To be lost to our own worldly desires. Is to be a part of this great victory. It's our defeat by Christ that brings our victory in Christ. So while it is in one sense humbling and inglorious, as we have to confess our sins and our stupidities and our weaknesses and say, I am unworthy of you, O God. Yet at the same time, it is the most exalting and glorious time of our lives as we are lifted out of death and brought to life, lifted out of defeat and brought to Christ's victory, lifted out of the enemies and brought to be a part of the family of God. Are you willing to be defeated by Christ? Are you willing to be humbled by him? Or is your heart still in this place where you I want the glory, I want the praise, I want to seek my own life. I give, this, I give my life to this world and 2023 holds out so many opportunities to fight against God and to live my own life, to live my best life now. I'm going to live for me and my glory. If that is your heart, your attitude, you're on the losing side. Only when you come into Christ's triumphal procession, he humbles you, defeats you, shows you your sin, you turn from that sin in faith in the Son of God, then you enter into the life that you were made for, the life that God created you to live. It's being unglorious that is the most glorious place to be. It's being vanquished that is your greatest victory. Jesus elsewhere says, doesn't he, it's being poor in spirit that will bring you your greatest inheritance. So only when we have nothing in and of ourselves can we enter in to the beauty and the fullness and the riches of Jesus Christ. While we might not appreciate it yet, it's not being an amazing, slick church that will bring people to Christ, is it? Rather, it's our willingness to be slaves to Christ. For each one of us to die to self each day, that is what will spread the aroma of the gospel. It's the stench of our death to our own world-based desires. It's the stink of our sacrificial living as we give up everything for Jesus that actually continues today to proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we live death to self and alive to God, people can still smell that sweet aroma of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We, we're in this triumphal procession, casting out the aroma of the gospel by our lives and by our words. And it's that gospel witness which will bring life to the repentance. One of the most common Christmas gifts is smellies. Socks and smellies in it, always. I wonder why that is. Maybe it's to indicate that we long to have a good aroma in front of other people. And people with a bad aroma, well, it's difficult, isn't it? <clears throat> what kind of smell are we giving out? What kind of aroma is expelled 
from our lives? Is it one that proclaims life in Christ? Is it the, 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 the aroma of death, the self, life in the Lord Jesus? Or will the only aroma people smell from us this year be that sweaty stink of loving the world and its sins? As we go through in this triumphal procession, casting out the aroma of the gospel. Will people say, this is the aroma of death to me because I am rebelling against God. And others say, it's the aroma of life because I trust in the Lord Jesus. This is not a call to a, an easygoing, happy-go-lucky triumphalism. I'm in the march. It's all easy now. It's a call to be a slave, to lose our deepest loves and desires, to give them all up for God, and to say, this is my life. Take it. Take it all. And glorify your name through my death. So as we close, can I ask you this question? Have you entered this procession? You joined, have you been joined with Jesus? Yeah, it doesn't perhaps seem so attractive to become a Christian with all this talk of death and sacrifice and losing your life for, the, for someone else, to give up everything that this world offers, to say, I place it in your hands, Jesus, it's all yours. Maybe it doesn't seem so attractive. You long to live your best life now without him. <coughs> To walk this year in fulfillment of all the pleasures and pastimes of this world. The only problem is that Jesus has already got the victory in the world. And the triumphal procession of Christ is the only healthy, good place to be. The place that God has made you to be. He's risen from the dead. And if you're outside of that, you lose everything. You'll never rise from the dead. You will go from this death as enemies of God into the next world of eternal death. If you don't join with Jesus, then you remain in an already defeated army. As you continue to smell the aroma of the gospel in the lives of your parents, your friends, the church, is that aroma one of death to you saying, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm going to give my life to death. I'm going to turn away from the victory of Christ. I'm going to go to eternal death and hell. Or will you say, I, I smell this aroma. There's something beautiful about it. And I turn to Jesus. I'm conquered by Jesus. I have faith in the Son of God. And I enter in to the victory march of Christ. It feels unglamorous, but then we are free. We are free. Free from the power of sin. Free from the defeat of Satan and his armies. And we enter in to the most glorious army of all, the conquering one, the one belonging to Jesus. And so the question that faces you this morning is this. Are you free? or not? Free to serve God or captive to sin? And another question, are you captive to Christ or are you living bound to the enemies of God? Are you on the Lord's side, the victory side, 
Or are you on the defeated side, the lost side? Join the parade. Come to Christ. Be joined to Jesus so that whatever happens in this unknown year to come, you can say with all the ups and downs, with all the struggles, with all the flames and floods that will come my way, I am in the triumphal march and I am headed to be with my Savior forever. The same goes for each one of us. If you're already God's child this morning, it is possible to practically turn from this triumph march and begin to look backwards like Lot's wife to the old way of life and to desire the, the, the fruits of Egypt to say, ah, oh, they're so attractive, they're so beautiful, I want to be on that march again and I want to give my life to that old way of life. But that way was the life of defeat, the life of death. As we go into this year, we are not called to live a life of optimism or pessimism or even realism, but we're called to live a life through the lens of Christ's triumphal march. To keep our eyes fixed on him, to walk with him, to join with him in his death and in his resurrection. As we come to the table in a moment, we remember the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We remember the cost of this victory. Let's rededicate our lives as his people to him, to his service, resting on his finished triumphal death and resurrection to say, I will not go backwards. I will march forward in the victory of Jesus. I'm going to take communion. We're going to sing in a moment. But before that, let's just bow our heads. Let's be repentant of our sins of the past. Let's turn in faith to the Lord Jesus again. To ask him for renewal and forgiveness, for refreshing of our faith. And that as we take communion, we would rededicate our lives this year to his service, to enter into his victory. Let's bow our heads.